Assalamu alaikum, everybody. Welcome to the another episode of the Muslim Bitcoiner podcast, where we are joined again by Muawiyah Tucker, who recently just came back from the Satoshi Roundtable. So today we'll be discussing the sessions in the, in the last day. And Muawiyah will also talk about the presentation that he gave on that day as well. So Muawiyah Tucker, Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Thanks for having me again. Um, just some slight correction. It wasn't the last, last day. It was a Sunday. So there was, the last day would have been Monday. It was like a day for everyone. But then the last day for the conference presentation thing was on the Sunday okay and um, we began so the first part of the day or we began I think it was at 9 30 and there were a few different topics um, that took part that took place during that day and one of the first ones that I attended was in regards to AI the use of AI in education which is really interesting hmm. so essentially what he was saying was is that they use artificial intelligence and essentially and he did say kind of like off the cuff that they they draw in a lot of data from the user including like how they look and how they move and how their eyes are and all that kind of and they use that to tailor the education educational experience using AI so they can basically help engage them keep them keep them active and occupied and you know focus onto the lesson and whatnot that was interesting and they were talking about the, the use of AI it wasn't really a, a crypto or Bitcoin-esque thing but right. obviously it was definitely important for I would say the future because I think I think we're seeing I think we're seeing at the moment um, the convergence I would say of or the not a convergence the emergence of certain key technologies mm. blockchain or Bitcoin or whatever you want to call that that's a, that's a thing which which basically means the transfer of value on the internet on the network artificial intelligence which is again you say synthesis like the synthesis of information or the, the instant or quick or fast synthesization of, of information there was a third one there was that one that one and there's a third one that had ai money transfer oh and uh, i think i think nostra is going to be another key one another key layer in all of this thing so in terms of um decentralized um communications mm. so i think these things are going to be really important in the next five to ten years right. um, and i think maybe might, might even be like the basis of the next wave of things so number one you've got the transfer of money that, that facilitates a whole lot of things number two you've got this, the, the artificial intelligence which is, which is a very helpful tool for human beings to get productive I mean if you can imagine what, what we were able to achieve when we uh, discovered Google I mean before Google well how did we access the internet we didn't mm-hmm. with Google we were able to access search draw together different things in different parts of the world and that that, that leapfrogged us you could say and um, communications so at the moment everything has become very centralised in terms of we have the, your Facebooks and your Twitter is a big behemoth of, of information but and with that we've seen most recent years a lot of issues of censorship and kind of stuff and the mm-hmm. algorithm and you, your, your data being sold and harvested but I think with, with Nostra I think we're going to start seeing something very different where you can have communications that are not on centralised services services and companies so I think that was, that was important but anyway that was okay. that one do you have any, you have any questions on that one? No uh, I, I think I think those those are great things to talk about like you said I mean not all of it especially like the, uh, the AI part isn't necessarily so much about like uh, Bitcoin coin or blockchain or whatever but um yeah I, I do see ai especially being able to help people be more productive you know a lot of people are kind of scared about ai like replacing jobs or like replacing how we do things but i, I see ai as like a helpful tool like uh just just for you know i even even like even like for me sometimes like uh i i use like chat gpt sometimes to just you know i was playing around with it with my five-year-old of like uh like coming up with a story or something so i'll get like my five-year-old to like you know give me prompts to, to come up with a story so i could get like an AI to come up with just like you know a few sentences of a story and he thought that was so neat just you know dumb dumb things like that I think are, are really helpful in not just being more productive but also helpful in learning and it's kind of disappointing to see that a lot of educators are kind of skeptical and kind of very dismissive of like using AI in the classroom to help children learn and I, I, I don't know that's just something that I was thinking about the other day of like how cool it is to have AI not just help us be more productive but also to help us in education and, and learning and teaching as well.
well. But yeah, that's that's really all, all I wanted to say on that. One interesting thing that, that happened, you mentioned that with Google, apparently they use, they get, they've programmed an AI to learn, to learn how to, to trade and invest and they gave it $100,000 and left it for a couple of months to see what it could, it could do. Mm-hmm. And apparently that $100,000 turned, turned into something like more than $100 million dollars. <laughs> Um, wow, and and that was a loss that they they informed us of what they had done. So no no one knows if it continued doing what it was doing or not. But wow, I can imagine AI being responsible for maybe maybe maybe, maybe that's what caused FTX in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty scary uh, the, the the possibilities with with AI, but it's definitely an interesting technology to watch out for for sure. Definitely. Um, so just just go through some of the the, the names of some of the things that were happening at that time. I, I didn't intend all of those topics, but it was just even things like tokenization. Things like NFTs and the future and crypto and raising infrastructure, something like that. Um, KYC, the role of technology in, in, in compliance. That was another um, interesting topic. That was the next one. But yeah, so that was that, was that hour. The next uh, one I went to was um, the issue of compliance. That was a very important point. So in terms of regulation and compliance. So that, what was interesting about that one was that um, we had one exchange, kind of a person who works in behind an exchange. So he, he, just, he kind of gave us some of the inside info about how exchanges deal with privacy-based coins. So imagine you put your coin through a a coin join and you cleaned up what kind of, kind of stuff what, what kind of analytics do do, do they do so hmm. exchange he said exchanges they do analytics on coins that come in but they don't they don't well he's his one they don't tend to care what happens once you leave so some um uh, exchanges i think one person said one wants to that coin coin base they do seem to monitor what you do after you've left um but he said in his one they don't care all they care about is when it comes in and they'll flag it and then they'll make, make a report for anti-money laundering and then they'll you know you might they won't, this is they won't even tell you if, if you get flagged procedures not even not even to tell you they'll just forward your details onto someone else and then they'll you get investigated that way so there is that issue of obviously mm, with exchanges okay. which is i guess to be expected yeah um, but but the main focus of the discussion was to do a coin coin joins um privacy um how to i guess operate on a bitcoin network with privacy and mm-hmm. what, what does that what does that mean in terms of interacting with, with, the, with the with regulators that kind of stuff i see that was that one so um the next topic so list of topics there was i did was a riba this was the next one i did so basically this one, one I led, and this one was quite a good one. So in this one, basically, what all I really did was was try and introduce to the people because the, the, the idea was I wanted to introduce to the people what riba is, what kinds of riba exist, and essentially how Bitcoin can help Muslims um, get out of of riba. And okay. interestingly enough, we actually had, to, we had we actually had some non-Muslims who attended as well because they, they 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 just attended and wanted to know more about it, I guess. And it was a very good discussion actually because they were even um, taking part in the conversation. They were engaging. They, they even even like I said agreed. And I, and I think I've noticed that a lot um, with Kufar uh, when they listen to the share and it's explained to them they, they they get it because it's obvious I mean they may say oh I want to do it anyway I mean just like they'll say yeah I understand just like a person will say I understand that alcohol is bad I understand that a cigarette is bad but I should be able to smoke if I want to or drink if I want to I mean we get that mm-hmm. but no one no one can really deny that that what Islam says uh, in terms of Islamic um, judicial law and like that, they, they all get the reasons for it uh, and okay. they understand it and especially it comes to the issue of riba, they all understood it one of them was like yeah well, why can't you charge you know for the service of providing capital mm-hmm. So I explained, you know, if if you want to make money, then invest, take and take on the risk, share the risk. Why should I bear the brunt of all the risk and you get no of none of the risk? Like I said, once 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 that was explained to them, it was like, yeah, yeah actually, that makes that. They would say that's more fair. That's that's the very least they could say. Is, yeah, it, it is it is a more fairer system. But yeah. I don't agree. I don't agree that it's it's wrong, but I definitely agree that it's definitely a fairer system. Yeah. One one thing I noticed whenever like I I talk about like Islamic finance or riba on Twitter, I find that a lot of actually non-Muslims are are almost just as interested as 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 Muslims when it comes to kind of like that inner 
intersection between between Bitcoin and Islamic finance. And like you said, when you explain it to them, especially the 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 risk sharing aspect, that's when it kind of clicks for them because you're like you explain to them how like how currently how loans operate, especially under fractional reserve banking, it's like all the risk is being taken on by the retailer and none by the actual by by, by the person issuing the debt or or yeah. by the bank. So like when you explain it to them that you know Islam seeks to to have to have a just system where you know they're both parties that are involved in the contract share that risk and when you explain it to them in that way they kind of they that's that's when it starts clicking and that's when they start getting it yeah i mean like i said it's it's i mean we all know islam is, is in line with the fitrah islam is islam is in line with the natural disposition of human beings and, and by that definition when people are exposed to islam they will see it's fair like i even had a discussion with one 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 brother about the issue of freedom of speech mm-hmm. so the question was why can't i say what i want to say if i'm not harming anyone and you know and i said well that's the point if you are harming someone in islam then then islam steps in and says no you can't do that you know mm-hmm. and they'll say okay but, but you know what 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 harm can words do and i said well <laughs> if 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 you if if someone said that started to spread rumors that your daughter was having inappropriate sexual activities in, in back alleys with men and it's to the community i'm sure you'll be happy with that and i'm sure you wouldn't have to stop and you sure you want that be compensated for that for the damage that's because that's going to be done to your, your your family your your reputation of your daughter how you gonna get married off and everyone think everyone thinks it's like this how she is when you frame it that way and explain mm-hmm. to them why they get it i mean they, they will actually get it more than you <laughs> they'll like okay you know <laughs> If they did that, I'll do more than just sanction them. I'll beat the crap out of them. <laughs> but the, but that's the thing. They, they, people have people have principles, but in practice, they have Islam. This is that's how that's how I feel it. I feel it like this. People have principles and have ideals, but in on the ground, the reality is they want Islam. Yeah, that's you, how you I know, see it. And, and you know, going back to the to the riba point, I mean, you know, it's, I, I like to frame it in that it's not just like you know, Muslims aren't the only ones that were addressing it because like historically, it was like all religions kind of you know they they yeah, they yeah, banned or yeah, placed yeah, restrictions yeah. on usury. So like this, yeah, this yeah. new thing where usury is allowed throughout the world is a very new thing. Actually, that's like the yeah, that's yeah. kind of like a weird thing. Yeah, yeah, it's actually the anomaly. Yeah, because I'm actually I was um it's part of the book I'm working on. I was actually I have a chapter on quotes from uh, from throughout history regards to riba. And like you said, I've, I have almost twenty pages of quotes from people from from BC to A to to, to, to AD. You know, throughout the whole ages. You know, in religious texts from Hinduism, Buddhism, all of it, all of them say the same thing. Mm, exactly. And then yeah. Yeah, you have to ask yourself, you have to ask yourself a question. Why is it throughout time everyone has seen interest as being the exact same evil that we see today? What Islam says it is it's not it's not, it's not an unusual thing. It's, it's obvious. Mm-hmm. It's Agreed. obvious. It's just that yeah. now today it's it's, it's it's an anomaly because it's like uh, we we struggle to see how life would exist outside of it because everything is based on it. So that's just the only challenge is that it's everywhere. Right, right. I said I'm I'm really glad that like people that are into Bitcoin are starting to wake up to that fact, and even not just like Muslims, but also people of other faiths, especially like we even see like you know Christians that are in the Bitcoin space that are kind of like waking up to the fact that like oh yeah this this usury thing was actually banned at one point and they start to kind of like <laughs> yeah. uh, they start to kind of like investigate it because you know we muslims are very loud about it you know we may not have before bitcoin we may not have had the best solutions to kind of uh counteract riba but um you know we're still we're loud about it and that kind of makes people of other faith question why why usury is allowed today especially in in their in their beliefs and their religious faiths and that's a, what you mentioned is a very good point there actually about the issue of having the tools to combat it because that's that's actually the biggest problem is that as much as we want to say gold is a solution we have to also acknowledge that gold is part of the problem mm. the only reason why we have fiat in the first place is because of the, the failings of gold and the inability of gold to be transacted across space and space and time i mean i mean you can transfer value across time you know from holding value but across space is terrible yeah so you need eventually at some point um uh, some form of of uh, certificate issuance issuance or liabilities where you transfer the debt of the gold and this is where it creeps in and yeah. the, the only property that bitcoin has to solve that is the fact that you don't need to issue a certificate 
certificate anymore. The whole idea of, of paper Bitcoin is, is a dumb idea. You don't, there's no need for it. Right, exactly. And that, that's, that's kind of, you know, that points to a thing that I talk about, about like certain monies having like a, like an anti-ribo property where like gold, I mean, you know, for a while it worked like historically, you know, societies use, use gold without usury, you know, because, you know, you could, you could trust third parties to not like do fractional reserves or issue uh riba but um you know over time eventually no matter you know no, no matter how many times you try to adopt a gold standard it's always going to come out to the same thing which is what we have today in fiat where it's uh you you need to trust a third party in order to transact with gold over large distances and that's that's kind of the issue just just to kind of uh echo your point uh no, no matter how many times you try to institute a gold standard it's always going to come out to the same result where you end up having to trust third parties and uh those third parties are always going to be tempted to issue riba like like no matter how many times you try to go back to a gold standard it's going to end up coming with the same outcome and you know this is this is the neat thing about bitcoin because it's it's a very new thing where you don't actually have to issue paper certificates against bitcoin you can actually transact in the in the asset itself so i mean in terms of the issue of, of like i said the issue of riba that was basically the, the the main the main issue i was talking about is is how it manifests itself how it works in the system and in the banking and essentially what i was trying to say was that bitcoin essentially what it can do is number one you could help us up new avenues and new tools to interact with each other so for example you can use things like multi-signature wallets or to have a transaction so you can have contracts with people where you lock in the funds and then the funds is released once it's delivery um uh, even even like in terms of, of currency swaps you know when you want to send money from one country to the other country again as you know that, that's the instantaneous thing you don't you don't need debts or liabilities to achieve that you can just achieve it instantly and on, on a list of other things so that was the the, the topic we had on on riba mm-hmm. um that, that took place on that one um and then finally before the lunch break so there was two there's one I, I was interested in but I didn't intend it was to do with women in mining or women in the industry of Bitcoin and mining I thought that was interesting I was gonna go there and just say look ask them why do you think that women are not in, in, in crypto because I don't know any man who says you can't come <laughs> so it must be, right. it's, it's not, I don't think it's us as a problem mm. but I didn't intend that one anyway but, uh, but there was one lady who was going there and I asked her and she said she reckons it's to do with risk she said that, she said that women don't take risks men are very risk taking so essentially what she's saying is that if, if um, Bitcoin can become less risky and less obscure and opaque then women will, will be more involved in the space which which sounds fair to me sounds mm-hmm. to make sense right um, but the other thing that I actually did attend was to do with um, uh, funding so basically one individual wanted to have a discussion about how can we fund the devs or the Bitcoin devs essentially saying that uh, Bitcoin everyone tries to try to get success on the cocktails of Bitcoin you know all these crypto currencies and say yeah we're crypto we're Bitcoin we like Bitcoin blah blah so they try and get the successes of Bitcoin but none of them reinvest into the success of Bitcoin so not, not the exchanges not the shit coins none of them so essentially they've got all their VC money and all their money flowing into them and they have all their devs and stuff whereas Bitcoin they're still just doing stuff visibility on our own <laughs> not really having any kind of thing so basically there was a little discussion about is, is it possible to have some kind of um, funding or some some kind of way to raise funds for devs to keep on developing the Bitcoin network because at the end of the day it's going to go forward but it's just that it's highly underfunded basically I was basically in a, in a nutshell yeah I mean that, that that makes sense especially for Bitcoin where you don't have like a centralized company that's like issuing coins like you see with a lot of other uh, crypto projects and you know even uh, even if other crypto projects are Bitcoin friendly, they're primarily going to focus on developing their own coin rather than, you know, trying to develop and make Bitcoin or, or uh, I guess paying developers to develop on Bitcoin because, you know, why, why would they waste their money on that? They're trying, they're competing with Bitcoin. They may not say it, but they are competing with Bitcoin. So really it goes against their interests to help pay for the developers to develop on Bitcoin. Yeah, it's true. But in the same breath, it's definitely things like exchanges. They could do a lot more because exchanges, I mean, what would an exchange be about Bitcoin? I mean, could you even imagine a Bitcoin exchange that's not, that's not not Bitcoin. I mean, I guess if you say like DEXs, like Uniswap mm-hmm. and stuff, which is like they're only one coin only, so they're all 
basically they are either ERC20 token platform or whatnot. But on terms of centralized exchanges, then definitely they can, they, they should be able to pull up their socks and do something. But yeah, like you said, yeah. there's always a there's always a complete competing interest. Even yeah. centralized exchanges have their own coins and have their own business model. So yeah, it is what it is. It is what it is. But what was what 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 was interested that I learned from that discussion though was actually not to do with that topic. It was um there was a ETH developer that was there and he was talking about um how he's developed or why he still he still loves Bitcoin and has Bitcoin and hopes all the success in Bitcoin. He his what he what he's interested in is just developing something different. It's not like mm. he he disagrees with what Bitcoin is doing. But Bitcoiners are doing. He just has a different. It's like you know, it's like like it's, it's like saying I understand you want to, you want to build a house, but I want to build a car. Mm-hmm. That's what we're saying. I, I know a house is important. I know I know we all need to live in a house. But I'm interested in building a car. That's that's right. one of the reasons what which I which which made sense to me why why some people when I, when I say to them why don't you build on Bitcoin rather than build on some shitcoin it makes sense now why someone will do that because they don't deny that Bitcoin is important. They just have they're just interested in something else. Yeah. And this particular person had actually had a patent on some kind of technology they wanted to develop. So that's his his passion is is in his patent and his idea from even before Bitcoin. Hmm, okay. Uh, I mean, it, it does seem like a waste of time to, you know, try to develop uh, the technology of transferring value, uh, which is, you know, like what, what Bitcoin is. And it just seems like a waste of time to develop it on another coin. But if that's what he wants no, no, to he, do... It isn't, it, no, that's the thing. He's not, he's, not, he's not doing that, though. He's saying, so for example, I think it was something to do with... So essentially, what he's saying, what he's saying was that, that the Bitcoin network deals with the world mm. and with everyone. But he's more specific on a certain niche. For example, imagine... It is, like, imagine you want to develop some kind of ability for two people to do some kind of game amongst yourself. Like, I'm, not, I'm just trying to make it up with my head. I don't know what he was doing, but it's something like a right. small niche uh, thing, not not to do something that affects everyone. It's something that only affects a small number of people. Okay. That makes sense. For example, like stocks. Imagine like um, trading stocks. That's not that's not something that would involve the whole world. It only involves traders. Right. That's a very niche thing, that's not, and it's not to do with Bitcoin itself. Does that make sense? So it's not. It's yeah. not basically yeah. what he's saying is that not everything's about the transfer of money. There are other things that people want to do that's not to do with transfer of money. And I and I get that. I mean, even myself, yeah. um, I'm trying to develop an online marketplace. Mm-hmm. So that's, that means people, you know, advertising their goods people buying their goods that's not necessarily bitcoin i mean yeah you're using money to transfer but you're, that's something else that makes sense that's that's a that's user interface experience you know managing accounts doing logins that's something a bit different than than, than bitcoin so, so okay. I, I get that that he has um, something else he wants to do so but yeah he was it was a great guy man that's, he has some good info inside inside ethereum info okay. <laughs> <laughs> the inside scoop <laughs> on on these things but yeah so uh then we had lunch and then i think we had a few other topics it wasn't really anything important really that I can think of because oh, I want to get to um, what else is it I'm looking at the list what one did I attend after lunch future of crypto no longevity CBDC I missed that one I can't think of which one it is financial blockchain yeah I'm not sure which one it is so anyway uh, there was a two other um, topics that I can't remember which one I attended because it was like a few weeks ago now and I can't see none of the things on the list reminds me of anything. But mm. what I did do, I want to get to that point, is that I offered on the group if anyone wants to go and visit a masjid, you know. So we hooked up and arranged for a visitation to the masjid. So I worked, with, I communicated with the Dubai Islamic Center. Apparently, it's the largest center, Islamic center in in UAE. Oh wow! And the, it's, it's something like a couple thousand shahadas they get a year. Some like, they get the largest number of shahadas a year. It's, it's a big, big setup. I was in, I was in the office actually when I was there as well. It was quite a big setup. Wow! And uh, even when I was there, like no Muslims. Were walking in asking questions just out of the blue so yeah they're, they're quite active anyway so we got we basically they got some people and it was much like I'm again not saying names but there's some known, well known people in the industry they want to go and look at masjid so I took them on board got a car drove them there and it was a good experience alhamdulillah so first we got there there's some ladies with us some men with us they got them some abayas and some hijabs to wear before we went to the masjid mm-hmm. and, and then they gave like a little presentation what is Islam like basic pillars of Islam and we got to sat, sit down we got to ask some questions about Islam what was interesting funnily enough that one of them was told 
told on the, the attendees was told in a by imam in malaysia one of the pillars of islam one of the five pillars of islam something like that is not to eat pork and Emma was like, nah, <laughs> where did you get that from? <laughs> That's not a pillar, sorry. And then someone said, but why Why can't you eat pork? So, and then I mentioned um, one of the things, I said, you know, the, Allah mentioned you can't eat pork and, and we accept that as it is. Um, and it wasn't mentioned the why. We can speculate yeah. as to the why. And I mentioned that if you look at meat across the board and animals, there was a YouTube video I came across and they mentioned that, could you eat meat raw? And it mentioned that with fish, fish generally speaking, you can eat meat raw because that's how yeah. fishes are. Mm-hmm. With goats and sheep uh, and cows, you can eat the meat raw, but you you can't if you puncture the stomach the gut um, that could contaminate the meat and you can get sick so there are bacteria in the gut that can, that can poison you or make you sick but as for the meat itself it's fine but as for pork and even chicken then you need to uh, to, to cook it you can't have it raw because it has parasites and bacteria in it that are harmful to human beings so I said if you look at that on the scale of things it actually it, it, it lines up quite well with Islam so we have the hadith so even dead things in the sea are halal to eat so everything in the sea we can Eat it, mm-hmm. which is in line with what they just said that that any any meat in the sea you can eat raw. It's, it's fine; it's not harmful. So we can see that fishes, by default, whether they're dead or alive, they're not harmful. Mm-hmm. And then we see that the the cattle, that the the the, the sheep and the cows and the camels and whatnot. Then again, you can long just slaughter it properly. You can eat it. Just be careful of the gut or not. And but we you can see here why we need to slaughter still. And then then you have on the other end of the spectrum with the pork, for example. Then that's prohibited. And mm-hmm. likewise, even on medical medical on a medical level, you can't eat pork raw because so, it's dangerous. It, can, it has worms inside it and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, and even chickens, like the Hanafis, they have the rule that if you're gonna eat chicken, ch- chicken has to eat halal food for three days mm-hmm. or clean food. So not halal food, clean food for three days before you eat it, so it can flush your system out of all all, all nastiness. So the point is, is that that they, it's very possible that the correlation between what we can eat is down to hygiene hmm. and how how harmful the animal is. Not to mention that you can't really slaughter a pig; it has no neck. But yeah, ah, <laughs> 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 oh, interesting. Anyway, it was it was, okay. it was it was an interesting discussion, and then we went downstairs and we had some coffee and dates and had a further chat chit chat about Islam. Asked some questions about Islam. One of them asked, "What would Muslims say if if at some point in the future we can live forever? Then what would there be hellfire and paradise if you don't actually ever die?" Hmm. And then the, the guy said, "There's an Arab saying: when we see it, we'll give it a name." Meaning that when it, when it happens, then we'll talk about it because <laughs> this, this is all like speculation. Right. When, when you can prove it, you can do it, then we'll chat about it. But until then, why 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 worry ourselves with stuff like that? We may never happen. Right. I have another good answer. I have another good answer because I don't believe it's possible to live forever anyway. Yeah. But yeah. That's that's uh. I do believe you probably you probably extend your life quite a long time. Right. You can't prevent death. I don't. That's that's there's too many things that can go wrong. I, I wanted to and, ask you how many how many people did you get from the conference to come to the to the Islamic oh, Center? Yeah. So even before I even say that one one interesting thing is that before we even got into the car to go there one of them approached me and said yeah I want to become Muslim and oh. I was like yeah that's great because he said, he said that his his wife or whatnot uh, or other half she's Muslim but she's not practicing at all like off the rails so mm. and her dad actually wants him to be Muslim to fix his daughter <laughs> she's mad <laughs> isn't it <laughs> But subhanAllah, oh, wow. that's, that's, okay. I'm telling you, a lot of guidance comes from, from places you'd never anticipate, bro. So right. he's been reading about Islam anyway, so he's already interested in Islam anyway. That's one of the reasons why I'm going come along. So I was interested in that bit of news to hear that he was interested in becoming Muslim uh, and why not, why not. So hopefully, inshallah, it makes it easy for him in okay. his transition because I, I know it's difficult being a Muslim in a non-Muslim country, <clears throat> especially if you're a new Muslim because then you've got to somehow find connection with other Muslims and if you're on your own, then that's really, really rough. Yeah.
yeah it can it can definitely be tough being a being a revert uh in in the west and you know your only hope is to you know maybe go to your local masjid and then you know you also have to hope that there's people out there that are that are willing to reach out yeah 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 i mean that's what, that's what i would say for myself that was one of my biggest lessons is that when i became muslim it was in college so i basically found the prayer room so outside of lessons i was in the prayer room and we obviously had a little mini community there which made friends and then from those friends went to friday circles friday lectures and whatnot and conferences and then the circle built from there okay but if I went, if I became, if I became Muslim, like in a workplace, for example, mm -hmm. uh, where there most likely is not, there's no ISOC there, or there's no Islamic society there, or whatnot, then I can imagine it be being a bit rough. You're surrounded by non-Muslims. You go home, there's non-Muslims. You on the street, there's non-Muslims. It's like you're the only one, mm -hmm. you know. Other than maybe Juma, I might see a few Muslims here and there. Then it can be a bit rough. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, okay. Especially if you're in a relationship with someone and you've come to Islam and they haven't. That's also very rough. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it it, it can be tough. But Alhamdulillah, I mean, it sounded like uh, this this guy was thinking about it for. A long time, and then he it looks like he took he took his shahada right there. Uh, right no, there he, he didn't do it there. He, okay. didn't, he, he didn't do it there. He said he's going to do it when he's when he's going back. So okay, okay, thought, fair enough. That's that's fine. But he came along and he asked asked he asked some good questions. Everyone asked everyone everyone asked good questions. To be honest, I mean, alhamdulillah, it was a uh, it was a good uh, give and take from the people that were there. The Islamic Society gave him some books and the Quran, and they gave him a CD. And I said, bro, who does who does CDs, man? <laughs> Why are you giving CDs? Bro, oh man, we don't, we don't we don't have the drive for it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, I said, no, don't worry. There's a, there's a QR code. You get all the data online anyway. I said, yeah, that's what you need to do. Just, just the QR code, bro. No one, no one needs to these days. That's, that's it. Uh, but yeah, that was that was essentially that was that one. Oh, so is there anything else happened that was interesting there? Uh, oh yeah, and one of the guys again, not mentioning names, but he's definitely well known. When, when we were leaving, um, a van from Maghrib went, and he deliberately said, "Look, I want to stay here. I want to hear this guy. I like, I like hearing it." I was like, "Mashallah." It's, it's <laughs> no, because the thing is, if, if you're gonna ask to go to a masjid, for me personally, there has to be a reason for that. Mm -hmm. Something is, is is there in your head. I, 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 it, that, whether it's just curiosity or not, but for me, you don't go to a, a religious place unless there's some interest there. Even if it's a small, tiny spark or or you know just curiosity, there's something there that will, that will make you want to go there. For sure, right. maybe Allah makes it develop and grow. Who knows? But you know, it, 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 I know how it is when I was, when I first came Muslim. That 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 time it took from knowing to believe in took a while. Mm. It, it took a while. And it doesn't, it's not through knowledge. It's, it's something something else needs to happen in the heart to that happen. So inshallah, I'm right. easy for all of them. Inshallah. Um, that was really much it really. So. Okay. And that was just chilling, had food, met some people. I met I met someone there who who, who established I think the first Bitcoin exchange ever back in two thousand and I think eleven or twelve, something like that. Oh wow. So proper, proper OGs from way back in the day that were there. Um told me some funny stories. Um but yeah, um, I, I, I guess uh, circling back to your um to your presentation that you gave about Riba, I, I wanted to ask you, how did you, you know, given that you had a not primarily non Muslim audience, I, I guess there were also some Muslims there. I, how did you go about explaining what riba is? Because I know, like, the topic of explaining, you know, if someone asks you what is riba, that can be a complicated question, and it could be very specific and very detailed if you want the answer to be that way. But how how did you go about answering that question of of what yeah, I mean, what is riba? I mean, first and foremost, there was about one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven, eight, nine, ten. There's about ten or eleven people who were there, and I think majority of them were Muslim. Okay. Majority of them were Muslim. There's only two people there that weren't Muslim. But um, in terms of explaining it, I mean, first thing I did was explain um, the issue of of currency. What is currency, mm -hmm. uh, and what can become currency? So starting from the issue of the fungibility of things. So if if something is fungible, then essentially it can be used as a medium of exchange because every unit is the same as the other unit. So you know, a glass mm -hmm. of water, two glasses of water are the same. I mean, they're technically the same thing. And if I exchange one for the other one. 
compensating for practical sake. So we can understand why whereby we look at the things that are ribawi, um, you find it's not just gold and silver, also includes things like wheat, salt, dates, because they could be used as a medium of exchange because they can be stored for a long period of time and they can mm-hmm. be used to exchange things. You know, I can say, give me a cup or a bag of, of, of wheat and flour that can be used uh, very, very granularly to, to do, an, do an exchange. But fundamentally, other than that, so if that's the case, you can't, when you exchange those things, they must be spot, they have to be done that immediately. You can't have any delay. And if there is a delay, I mean, and, 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 and if you are lending, then it has to be the same. If you give, it has to be back the same. Mm-hmm. You can't have any increase. I mean, it's just it's pretty much straightforward. But okay. obviously, when it comes to, to um, analogies, essentially, we have to draw parallels to what we have today. So essentially, things like money exchange. So when I send money from one place to the other place, it's not instant in reality. It takes mm-hmm. time. Um, and then you have liabilities. So for example, you have this thing called FX swaps, as an example. And FX swap. So the way it works, for example, is if, you, if, if I have business in the UK and I have a, a branch in France, for example, and I, and I have staff in France in, in that need to be paid, but I'm charging people in pounds, yeah? So mm-hmm. I get paid in France francs or also euros on my balance sheet it's pounds but I still have to pay someone next week two weeks time three weeks time back in francs so I could do what's called an FX swap whereby the money is swapped now the swap price and we agree on a swap in the future there's a double swap mm. that's called an FX swap Islamically that's not allowed you can't do um, uh, currency transfers that are delayed that's mm. done immediate, immediately which is ironically because right now they just discovered that it's estimated about 40 to 50 trillion dollars of debt on FX swaps that they didn't realise was there until recently so oh, wow. the global debt that exists in the world they knew that and they just discovered that these FX swaps they were off balance sheet so it, when, when companies report their, their earnings these liabilities are not on the balance sheet oh, so wow. they just discovered can you imagine they discovered 40 to 50 trillion dollars <laughs> of debt liabilities on these FX swaps that they didn't know existed until just recently and even wow. on that they don't know the exact amount because it's off balance sheet and if it's a private company they're not obliged to tell you right exactly you're not going to get an exact so, amount for that yeah, yeah. so basically what, we, what we're looking at here is essentially you're tying the economy economy on these sequence of events which can cause the collapse of the whole system that's essentially what what, what debt what debt does and what, what riba does it ties yeah. your, your economy in such a way that um, number one it's hard to know what's happening number two it artificially inflates the prices of goods and, and, and services because essentially you're you're providing money that actually doesn't really exist yet you bring from the future to the, to, the, to, the, to the present and you're distorting prices that was basically the main 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 messages is that the ill effects of riba in terms of distorting the prices in terms of um, the instability of the market okay. the uncertainty of the market I don't know I don't actually know what's actually going on what's actually happening right now how much money is available how much money do I owe I don't know I mean imagine this check this out bro. imagine you're doing business with someone mm-hmm. and they they say we're going to pay you next week now they were confident they're going to pay you next week because they've got the money they didn't realise that the bank that is holding their money paid to another bank paid the to another bank who went bust so five banks down the, round, down the line they've gone bust which caused another to go bust which caused another to go bust which affects me mm-hmm. you've got a cascading effect of, 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 of destruction basically uh, based on, this, on this, this house of cards you could say that's why literally it is I mean this whole system literally is a house of cards. There's yeah. no actual accurate way to describe it. Yeah, that, that, that's the way I like to kind of explain the, I guess, the negative aspects of RIBA is that you, you need a network of banks to kind of prop up that RIBA. And, you know, the really the only way you can kind of keep that house of cards going is by is by printing money in order to kind of keep the, the, the debt or the interest payments up. Like, you, you, you need you need the boom-bust cycles and you need uh, currency printing in order to prop up that, that RIBA system. And the, and the joke is that the probably the best analogy to bring 
of the system is. It's like um musical chairs, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that. That's a very good analogy, actually. Yeah. Everyone is just okay. hoping the music doesn't stop because once once the music has stopped, someone <laughs> is going to be left standing. Yeah. And that person who's left standing could bring everyone else down. Right. Okay. So, so with with, yeah. with Islamic finance or with with Islamic within business, I guess you could say the way the way is that the Islamic system of finance works is that everyone needs to have a chair. Mm -hmm. So if the music does stop, we can all sit down. Right. That's that, that's how I would say it. the musical chairs in Islam means everyone in the game must have a chair to sit on. So if something does collapse or stop, we all have something to sit on. Their system is they play this game musical chairs, and the longer the game, longer the music plays, the more chairs are being removed from the table. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like first there was like five people in and four chairs. Now there's like two chairs. Now there's like only one chair, <laughs> and it's like blah, who's gonna get the last chair? Yeah, they run out, they run out of chairs. That's that's their, that's their problem, man. And it's gonna it's, it's not gonna last long. I don't know how they're, I don't know how they're gonna get out of it, but yeah. I think that's why it's good thing we've got Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, alhamdulillah for Bitcoin. And, you know, I think uh, there was, I think Alan Faring said said this in one of his presentations that he gave. He, he said, you know, Islamic finance is what would happen on a sound money standard. Like, like yeah. you know, there's nothing, yeah. there's nothing inherently special or weird about Islamic finance. That's just what would happen on a hard money standard. And I, I think Islamic finance would, would happen and flourish on a, on a Bitcoin standard. At least that's, that's my hope. That's the hope. Yeah, that's definitely the yeah. hope. And I think that was, one, that was one of the things that the Muslims who were there, they were, they were interested to know. What alternatives do they have? What, what could you do differently? Because of some of these people have a portfolio to manage some of them are, are, are managed family offices and whatnot. And mm -hmm. I said, look, with Bitcoin, there's a lot of things you can do. It's just that you need to change your mindset and how you approach business. Rather than approaching business from the aspect of credit, you start approaching business from the aspect of investment and and, and capital. So for example, if I said to you, here's 500,000 pounds, uh, go and buy a house. That thinking is not the same as if I said to you, here's a loan of 500,000 pounds to buy a house. A loan to buy a house is not the same as you using your own capital to buy a house. Mm -hmm. You would think twice about spending all your money on the house. You might even say, you know what, I'll just buy a 200,000 pound house and have the mm -hmm. other half in investment because mm -hmm. I'm not going to spend all more money on a house. But if it's a loan, you would do that. Mm -hmm. So when you a credit mind thinking, it's not the same, not the same as a, a uh, sound money type of thinking. Your mindset is completely different. How you behave, right. how you operate, how you plan, how you take risks, it's all completely different. Yeah, and that, that kind of ties into the whole time preference thing where like, you know, if you're on a debt-based currency, your your time preference is going to be very high. Whereas being on a hard money or sound money standard, your time preference will be low. You'll be thinking more about the future than you are yeah. of the present. So yeah, okay. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, thank thank you for for explaining that. That's just I saw Lop's summary of Islamic finance, and that kind of made me wonder how how you explained that. So thank you for for shedding light on that. Um, okay, no, 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 essentially, the event came to an end. There was uh, Monday. There was some activity that was going ahead. I didn't really get to take, take part in many of them because of other things I had to do. But beyond that, yeah, it kind of came to an end, and uh, we're all still much very much in contact. Those who took part. So there's a there's a there's a group that we have. We chat, exchange things, and we're still working on changing the world. Inshallah. So hopefully, hopefully we can all do some good things moving forward okay inshallah uh, that sounds like it was a very is a very fun event and i'm kind of sad that i didn't get to attend but inshallah maybe maybe next year or something inshallah inshallah maybe <laughs> if they have it in saudi yeah <laughs> alhamdulillah so um right. yeah uh, do, do you have any other closing thoughts about uh about your attendance at the satoshi roundtable uh, not really there was not there was not much else to really report uh, okay i'll definitely advise everyone to read the report from jameson Locke. he was he attended different some of some of the events he attended were different than mine and he had different take on it and it's definitely there's definitely something worth learning from um because like i said the whole point of it is to learn from other people what they have to say and what they contribute and there definitely was a lot to contribute from different people um different aspects and whatnot all right alhamdulillah all right uh thank you so much for joining me Tuck. i really appreciate your summary uh, uh and and uh explaining what went on during the satoshi roundtable thank you for that all right